You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pray, Eric Scopel on the show, and we have a guest, Patrick Murphy, the beat reporter for Bucknuts, our Ohio State affiliate on 24-7 Sports. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. We're uh, really looking forward to getting out to Columbus and catching, hopefully, which will be a good game and competitive game. Yeah, should be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Um, we were bummed that it last year didn't work out, obviously. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. We've got football this year, which is what matters. All right. Before we dive into this game, um, Real quick, what's just kind of the vibe, the expectation from a fan perspective at Ohio State? Week one for Oregon, it was probably 75% full. What's kind of the, the crowd atmosphere going to be like, you, you think? It's going to be interesting. They announced yesterday uh, that there's still 10,000 tickets available um, at Ohio Stadium for this game. Athletic Director Gene Smith was, was optimistic that they would get that taken care of and that those would be sold by the time the game kicked off, but, you know, obviously we're, we're in an interesting time, um, you know, not only with, you know, still kind of the effects of the pandemic going on, but um, you know, I, at least for Ohio state ticket prices are pretty ridiculous. Um, you know, I think I saw on online, some of the cheapest tickets are like 160 bucks somewhere around there. So um, yeah, it's not helping matters. I don't think, um, you know, obviously this is a big game. So, you know, you, you understand the, the demand for tickets and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I imagine it'll be close to a sellout, but it wouldn't surprise me. Even some of the games uh, two years ago, you know, you saw some empty seats there even when they announced a sellout. I think times are just kind of changing in the sports world and, you know, stadiums and teams are having to figure out kind of how to get people back into the stadium when, you know, you can watch it on TV for a pretty, uh, you know, for, for free and uh, you, you get a pretty good product. So it's a challenge for everybody. Now, previewing this football game, C.J. Stroud got his first start at quarterback last week against Minnesota, and I don't care the quality of opponent. Going on the road, your first start against a conference foe, that's got to be interesting nonetheless for, for whoever it is and whoever you're playing. Just how do you feel like he did and just kind of the growth and the expectation from game one to game two? It was a bit of a mixed bag, you know, kind of first half, second half. And, and even the first half for CJ started brightly. You know, he completed his first two passes. It was kind of scripted, um, you know, obviously passes that they wanted to get him going. This is a kid who, you know, last year played in three games, but very minimally never threw a pass last year. So these were his first college passes, his first meaningful snaps, other than one snap against Clemson when Justin Fields got hurt, when he just came in and handed the ball off. So, uh, you know, it, it was expected that it may take him a little bit of time. I think with the way he started and, and Ohio State, you know, quickly drove down the field, mostly with the running game and scored. I think fans were like, okay, we've, we've got this guy. Um, and they struggled in the second quarter, no doubt about it. He even said after the game, you know, his head wasn't in the right place early in the game for, for you know, what was his first college start, as you mentioned, on the road. It was, a, it was a pretty loud environment there in Minnesota as well. You know, so I think the fact that he was able to respond through four touchdown passes, uh, all, I think, 31 yards or longer in the second half. A lot of that came yards after contact, but, you know, it all still counts the same. Um, the fact that he was able to come out, you know, they were trailing 14 to 10 at halftime, 
lead the Buckeyes to a win, I think is a positive sign. And you saw some of the things once he settled into the game that we'd heard about all fall camp and, and what made him, uh, you know, eventually a highly recruited prospect. Some of the, the downfield throws um, that he was missing in the first half, his reads were better, things like that. So it's interesting because Minnesota did such a good job of time of possession in this game that they kept Ohio State's offense off the field. So it's really, I think there were, Ryan Day said yesterday, 48 gradable snaps and 42 of those before that final drive where they just kind of ran the clock out. So not a lot to like go off of in terms of Ohio State's offense, um, you know, in terms of evaluating new players like C.J. Stroud. You know, there, there were certainly some good throws. There were certainly some poor throws and poor decisions. But, um, you know, overall sample size isn't too large at this point. I guess I'm curious, Patrick, about perceptions of Oregon in Ohio yeah. coming into this one. I mean, just, just to take a step back here, I think for Oregon fans, this is considered probably the biggest non-neutral site, non-conference game, at least in a lot of our lifetimes. <laughs> I'd have to go back. I'm 32 years old. I have to go way back to think of a game that maybe was bigger than this. That's neutral. That was not a neutral site game. Oregon's had a couple of those with SEC teams. But this is a, feels like a very significant game, and Ohio State is a very significant program to schedule in the non-conference. I know for Ohio State, they play marquee games pretty frequently. What is the perception of this? Does this feel just like another big non-conference game at the shoe or, or does this carry something greater than like, because again, I think from an Oregon perspective, it does feel pretty significant. It feels bigger than most non-conference games. I think it's on par with, with when Ohio state has played, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, um, you know, the, the, the teams of, you know, recent years that, that the marquee non-conference ones, as you've mentioned, um, I think there is some added significance and, some of the Ohio State accounts, Twitter accounts this week, um, you know, BTN, Big Ten Networks, Ohio State account and stuff have tweeted out highlights from uh, the 2014 National Championship game. So I do think there's something added because these two teams did meet in that game um, and haven't met since then. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is just, you know, it is another non-conference marquee opponent, but I think it's viewed on the level with the, the top of the top that Ohio State has played. You know, I think there's a lot of respect for Oregon and, and what the Ducks have done. And also, you know, kind of the transition. I think people realize this isn't the Oregon teams of Chip Kelly and, you know, kind of the, the, the you know, fast-paced, um, you know, maybe not as physical teams. You know, I talked to a couple of people over the weekend, friends of mine that are big Buckeye fans that, you know, were saying just, you know, they don't expect that same type of game. And, you know, to hear that from people who are, are Buckeye fans but maybe don't, dive into Oregon football as often as some, um, you know, there's that recognition of what this program is at this point in time. Yeah. The Oregon program is drastically different. Um, I think Eric and I, and I think even the fan base here out West at Oregon is still trying to, to come to terms of how different the programs are between the Mark Helfrich, Chip Kelly era and the Mario Cristobal era. Cause they're, they're this Cristobal program is nowhere near the explosive offense that Oregon was, um, but they are by far the more physical um, offense. So it's kind of a give or a take, but nonetheless, it's an interesting one to look at. Um, going back to Ohio State and that Minnesota game real quick, Patrick, there were a lot of first-time starters on defense too. Um, multiple linebackers and then a couple defensive linemen. Just how did this unit hold up and you know, what's kind of the expectation uh, of this defense? Because you know, I, I think when I think of Ohio State football, I think an explosive offense and then a very physical, very stout defensive unit. Just kind of what's this feel on the defensive side of the football? 
Yeah, that's what Ohio State wants to be. Um, last year, you know, it was a very physical group. The pass defense was a question mark. Um, you know, and I think anyone who watched the college football playoff, especially the game against Alabama, saw that. And, you know, that was really the case throughout the year. And the offseason, a lot of guys talked about, um, you know, not having a normal offseason a year ago to, you know, kind of develop and get better under a new defensive coordinator, um, some new faces there. And then you come into this season, as you mentioned, a lot of new guys. The whole linebacking core is a different group. Um, the, the cornerbacks were out of nature of injury. Uh, the, the two starting cornerbacks were both freshmen, one redshirt freshman, one true freshman. Um, another redshirt freshman rotated in, and they played a lot of different guys. So, you know, it, it wasn't the reassuring, okay, this defense is back type of performance. But I think there were reasons, because there were so many first-time starters, so many young guys, on the field, um, kind of maybe, you know, wait and see a little bit longer on um, what this defense will be. I think obviously this week will be a big test and, you know, they potentially will get um, seven banks. Who's a senior cornerback, Cameron Brown, who's a redshirt junior. Um, those guys could be back. Ryan day is very tight lipped about injuries. So uh, he didn't want to answer questions about that the other day, but you know, if those guys are back, obviously you have much more experience on the field. Um, if they're not, you're looking at the same group that I think will grow from that week one performance, but uh, you know, obviously still young and, and you know, rather green. So um, I think there were reasons for the, the defense, maybe not all of a sudden taking a big jump that maybe fans were really hoping for, but uh, you know, I mean, you still have to, you still have to make plays. They did to some extent, obviously enough to beat Minnesota, but you know, still gave up 400 total yards. Um, a lot of that came on the ground and then late after Mohammed Ibrahim got hurt uh, through the air, but, you know, it, it certainly wasn't a perfect performance. I wouldn't say that at all. You kind of touched on a little bit of it. it does sound like Ohio State's banged up a little bit. Um, and it typically happens after every single yeah. game. But just what's what's the injury status right now for some of these guys? Yeah, the, the couple I mentioned there, the cornerbacks, still certainly questionable. Um, and then safety Josh Proctor, Ohio State plays most of the time with a, a single high safety look. He got hurt in the fourth quarter. Looked like he grabbed his wrist or arm after making a tackle and then had to be helped off, went straight to the locker room. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. Ohio State releases a availability report um, the day of the game. So that's really when we find out much about, uh, about the players. And then uh, starting center, Harry Miller missed last week. Um, Luke Weipler, a, a registered freshman, stepped in and, and played pretty well for him. But his status... Also uncertain. There was a rumor going around that he's dealing with COVID stuff. Um, that's completely unconfirmed, but that was the the talk on the message boards that you know people had heard from people and and whatnot. So um, if that's the case, obviously you know it's it's treated differently than an injury. But um, yeah, he's another guy um, that, that that could miss out this week. Are any of these like, oh my gosh, this is a huge hit? Or is it kind of like, hey, they have the depth, they should be able to, to get by without it? Yeah, the Josh Proctor one would be big just because he, you know, he wasn't out last week. Bryson Shaw, his backup, played a little bit. Um, but he was the, the veteran of the group, started last year, most of the season. And you could see a lot during the game, him you know, pointing where guys should be on defense, uh, things like that. So missing him would certainly be a blow to Ohio State's defense. You'd be even younger. Um, if you don't have seven banks or Cameron Brown back, at least, you know, you saw what the defense looks like without those two. If you had to throw Bryson Shaw in there, another young player, 
um, you know, for, for, for a start against, you know, a team like Oregon, that would certainly complicate matters, I think, for, for Kerry Cones in this Ohio State defense. We talk a lot about the receivers and you're probably tired of getting questions asked about it to a certain degree, Patrick, just because it is like such a, I think almost like, like team defining trait. You have those two elite guys on the outside. So I'm not going to ask about that in part because we've got a lot of content on Duck Territory talking about that and discussing that. I want to ask about running back yeah, um, because I think it's a position where Ohio State is always supremely talented and that's the case this year. But there's also a position where I feel like maybe the most talented guy isn't the guy who's going to get the most snaps every game. Like, What's the progression there, and how do you maybe see – how do you see Ohio State using its running backs against Oregon, and how maybe will that change throughout the season? Because it does seem like a couple of the well, – and one player in particular, younger guy, seems like he might be the, the, the next big thing there in the backfield. Yeah, Travion Henderson, I assume, is, is the guy you're talking about there. Um, he was the number one running back recruit in the country uh, coming out of high school last year. He actually didn't play his senior year. He was from Virginia, and they didn't have high school football. But – um, yeah, you're right. I, the last week, they started with Mayan Williams, who's a redshirt freshman from Cincinnati, played last year a little bit um, and looked, looked decent. And I think he had 10 carries total last year, a couple nice runs against Clemson, actually. But um, he was a guy who got a lot of hype this offseason, ended up being the starter. But they then went almost drive by drive with a different running back, Master Teague, who's a fourth year junior, uh, who's, who's been in the program, obviously, for some time. Uh, you know, he's a guy who physical, more of kind of a one cut and go type of guy, you know, doesn't give you as much of that wiggle and things as, as some Ohio State running backs of the past have done. Um, then they went to Marcus Crowley, who's a redshirt sophomore, came back from an ACL injury last year. He, he had a few snaps. And then finally, Travion Henderson came in the last possession or second to last possession, I guess, of the first half. What was interesting, though, is then the second half when they needed you know guys to make plays, it was Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. Those are the two running backs that touched the ball until the game was pretty much over. Marcus Crowley came in. We didn't see any of Master Teague in the second half. Ryan Day was very uh, you know, coy about what the plan will be. You know, he was asked if the plan is to shorten the rotation at running back this week. He said, you know, that's what we'll probably do. But then he also mentioned, you know, we're going to need all of these guys. So it's a tough, it's tough to read. I think that the second half is probably indicative of what you'll see when they re- when you know when the chips are down type of thing, I do think Master Teague has a role with this team. You know, even last year against Alabama, when Trey Sermon got hurt, he came in and you know scored two touchdowns. And you know, he he can do some things, but I think he's just kind of limited in you know the the all around game that maybe some of these other more talented running backs give you. Now he's a veteran; he's played in big games before. You know, I think they trust him to not fumble the ball. They trust him in pass protection things like that. So there's still reason he would get on the field, but I think if you're just looking for guys that can make plays, it's Mayan Williams, it's Travion Henderson, probably in that order, just because of their age. And, you know, as the season goes on, that may flip and Travion Henderson may become the guy. Sometimes when I think about Ohio State's offense and the passing game, I think a lot of it is set up by the run, which is part of the reason I asked about it. I think a fair amount of play action stuff. Um, What is the concern level about Oregon's pass rush, his ability to minimize some of that play action stuff. Because, if you know, we look at this game and you look at the explosive plays, especially against Minnesota, and I know some of those were were not set up by play action, but I think Oregon's best chance of mitigating some of that might just be to get to Stroud so he can't get the ball down the field. Has that been billed as a big matchup, just Ohio State's offensive line's ability to slow down, assuming Kayvon Thibodeau is healthy, but a bunch of other good pass rushing guys? Does that feel like a pretty critical – matchup in this one? 
For sure. I think that's, for me at least, that's the most interesting thing, um, you know, from this game. How does Ohio State's offensive line, which is big, it's pretty experienced. Um, you know, they basically play four tackles and the center. They've, they've moved Thayer Munford, who is an All-American left tackle to left guard. Uh, Paris Johnson, who is a five-star recruit, has a tackle. Uh, two years ago, he's, he's playing right guard. And, you know, then they've got Nicholas Petit-Frere, who played at the right side, now on the, at left tackle, and Dewan Jones, who is six foot eight and 380 pounds uh, and has forced his way into this rotation on the right side. So um, a big offensive line looked very good against Minnesota, but I do think this is going to be quite a big step in step up in, uh, in talent in terms of the pass rush and, and things like that, you know, keeping Stroud upright, giving him time in the pocket, you know, that was pretty crucial to getting him going against Minnesota. So yeah, that's a huge thing for me in terms of, uh, you know, how this game will go is if Minnesota is able to get in the backfield a lot, that's a problem for Ohio state. All off season, um, out here, the discussion with this game has has been how does Oregon's defensive backs stack up with Ohio State's receivers? Um, Eric asked the defense coordinator, Tim DeRuiter, on Monday if he'd ever faced uh, two first-round draft pick receivers. And yeah. he kind of chuckled and was like, I've, I've done it once multiple times, you know, with, with one guy, but doing it with, tw- with two is a whole nother thing. Um, this feels like the thing that could decide this game. Like I look at it and say, obviously Oregon has to stop the run against Ohio state. Oregon obviously has to be able to move the football, but if they, if Ohio state gets whatever they want, explosion play after explosion play on in the passing game, it doesn't really matter what Oregon can do. Cause I don't think they're going to be able to win a game when it's 63, 56 type of a performance of a shootout. Um, is it that simple in your eyes? Is, is this, you know, what could decide if this game is a close game or, or if it's a blowout, if Oregon can or cannot cover their receivers? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think that if, you know, talking on that side of the ball, you know, not only, you know, if, if CJ Stroud has time, I think is one big thing, but then, you know, if he does getting the ball to those receivers is, is key. You know, I, like I said, his four touchdown passes last week were all, um, you know, I think three of them were over 50 yards. I think the other one was 31 or something like that. So yeah, these big explosive plays are, were, were important to Ohio State's offense. Ryan Day likes to take shots. He did it with, you know, they did it with Dwayne Haskins. They did it with Justin Fields. They'll do it again with CJ Stroud. Um, you know, we've heard what a good deep ball thrower he is. And we saw a little bit of that. So yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be a key thing for, for anybody playing Ohio State's defense or Ohio State's offense this year is how do you handle these two receivers? And what will be interesting, too, is they talked a lot about playing depth at receiver this year, something they didn't do last year. There's a lot of talent behind those two guys. How much do we see a rotation? Like I mentioned, there weren't a ton of snaps offensively in the Minnesota game. So do, do they get to a, a Julian Fleming, who was the number one wide receiver recruit, recruit a year ago? Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, another number one ranked wide receiver. Marvin Harrison Jr., the son of you know Indianapolis Colts legend Marvin Harrison. So there's, there's a lot of guys in here that they want to try and keep happy. Um, you know, I, I'll be interested to see how deep it goes. But, yeah, the two, two guys, you know, you focus on the most, obviously, if you're trying to game plan against Ohio State's past game are, are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And they've done such a good job of consistently being factors in the passing game for whoever the quarterback is. Kind of a big, question, big picture question, Patrick, for you. Um, okay. I just feel like Ohio State's expectations, national championship or bust every season. Is that fair? Just to start. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. 
how, how do you how do you, you how does a fan base how does a team manage those expectations throughout a season where it is 13 games and a game like this against Oregon actually could play a pretty pivotal role later in the season and while also I'm I just think it's kind of complicated when you are high fit and you're just at the doorstep every year for a national championship but the, but one loss in the way the college football playoff is set up can really impact things especially when you get to preseason like does that make does that add added pressure to this like how do you, how do you perceive a game like this when the expectations like could, if, an, if an Oregon wins this game and again I don't think either of us think that's the case I don't think any of us on this podcast right now think that's the case if that were to take place so that would like I don't know does that stump the season in September for you guys yeah, I mean, I think that would be the perception, even though that's probably not the reality. I think even, you know, especially if this is a close game, you know, Ohio State, if you win the Big Ten, go undefeated the rest of the way, you probably still are in that playoff, um, you know, conversation. I honestly think that would be more of a feather in the Pac-12 and, and Oregon's hat um, type of thing in terms of getting to getting back to the playoff. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, come Monday, say, if Ohio State has lost the game, there will be a lot of talk on our message boards, on local radio, all that about, you know, well, the Buckeye season's over type of thing. And, um, you know, a bit overreaction, as I said. But, sure. yeah, I mean, that's that's the expectations here. You know, Ryan Day has said it multiple times this offseason is you can't lose around here. You know, he understands that you've got to take it game at a game at a time. But the, the expectation is is every year to be in that college football playoff conversation and, and you know, be a part of that at the end of the season. So, um, you know, he recognized that from day one. He's obviously done a very good job of it. They've been in the playoff both years he's been here and his only two losses came to Clemson and Alabama. But, um, you know, I, I mean, at some point, I imagine he's going to lose a regular season game. And and then it's, you know, handling the that loss. You know, Urban Meyer started 24-0 here and uh, then lost in the Big Ten championship game. And, you know, as if the sky was falling type of thing. So, uh, you know, when they lost to Penn State, I think it was the – well, they lost to Michigan State the year after they won the national championship. And I think that was his first regular season loss, um, if I remember correctly. And, you know, they missed the playoff. And it was there was so much overreaction to that for a team that just won the national championship the year before. You know, that's just kind of what it is around here. And, and you know, you have to be able to deal with it if you're a coach, a player, you know, really anyone involved in that program. Um, looking at this program, they've come out west more and more now to start recruiting yeah. What's what's led to their success and, and what led to them coming out west? I mean, CJ Stroud's from from SoCal. Uh, Olav is from SoCal. Uh, they've got a couple backup second string guys from the Seattle area. What, what's been mm -hmm. their success and why? Well, I think, you know, Ohio State's a national program. I think that's the first thing. And then, you know, you, you want to recruit the best. Right. And I think as you look at kind of the the shift of where talent has been, um, obviously there's plenty in the South. There's probably less than there used to be in Ohio and the Midwest. Um, you know, still they they obviously have a focus on landing the best guys in Ohio and in this footprint. But you know, they're going to go where they can find the best talent, and you know that has been a lot of times out west. You know, Wyatt Davis, who uh, was was the starting right guard and All American, was was from out west. Uh, you know, they've. Pascal Garrett's from Las Vegas. Um, you know, they're going to go find these guys. And, you know, as you have more success, um, you know, recruiting in, in various places, you, you begin to build those pipelines and whatnot. So I think that's helped a lot. Um, you know, the Chris Olave, you mentioned that, that was a guy they weren't even recruiting. They were looking at, uh, I think it was Jack Tuttle, who they were recruiting the quarterback uh, who went to the same high school. And Ryan Day went out and, you know, happened to see 
Chris Olave is one of the receivers he was throwing to. And, um, you know, I actually just wrote about this, how Olave grew up an Oregon fan and dreamed of playing for Oregon. But, you know, it wasn't he wasn't getting any major offers until after Ohio State offered and Oregon kind of came in late. But at that point, he was already committed to the Buckeyes and ready to go. Um, so, you know, I think some of it is that, too, like finding those guys that, you know, CJ Stroud, who was a late co- guy to come on, really came on in his senior year. They'd already had Ohio State already had a quarterback in the class, but recognized that got in early and uh, were able to hang on to him. So, you know, I think it's it's recognizing the talent, recognizing where it's coming from. And then, you know, that Ohio State brand, it's uh, you know, it, it carries a lot of weight. It opens a lot of doors, even out west. And, you know, I think that helps a lot. Probably already talked about some keys to the game already, Patrick, but let's let's go bullet point. Give me a couple offense, couple defense for Ohio State to to get a victory here. Yeah, offensively, protecting CJ Stroud, as we talked about before, is is gonna be huge. Um, I think that'll be huge in, in every game for a young quarterback. If he doesn't have time, you know, he, he's already shown he's made a couple of mistakes when he did have time. That can force more mistakes if if he's under pressure and whatnot. Um, I really will be interested about the crowd, you know, we, we touched on it early, just like it's a noon game, obviously 9am your guys time. Um, a lot of times these games are, are 8pm kickoffs local time, right? So how much can the crowd be into this game, I think is something that maybe not on the field, but could still be a factor, you know, especially given, you know, these teams haven't played in front of fans much, you know, uh, especially Oregon on the road. Uh, so I think that'll be be big. Um, offensively, I do think that running game, you know, that's what got Ohio State going. Mine Williams had a 71-yard touchdown, I think, uh, was the first touchdown of the game. Uh, you know, they didn't run the ball a ton, just, again, how the game worked out last week. I think you'll see more of that in this game, uh, and I think they need to establish that run, maybe take some of the pressure off C.J. Stroud. Defensively, you know, I kind of think it's it's the, the flip side. Um, the secondary has to play better. It's got to, you know, you've got to shut down some of these Oregon receivers. You can't have, you know, guys just running free. Um, Minnesota didn't hit, I think their longest pass was 22 yards, but they hit a handful of like third and six for 10, you know, or something like that. Like getting off the field, especially in obvious passing situations is going to be crucial. And, you know, getting to the quarterback, you know, any, I know, uh, Anthony Brown is a mobile guy. If they can bring him down a few times early, that's something that this defensive lines talked about quite a bit. This off season was last year. They felt like they were getting there, but they weren't getting the sacks, getting the hits on the quarterback. So they were able to do that a couple times last week. It'll be important, even more important this week to do to do that. Patrick, we'll get you out with this question. Um, I, I think most sane people out west here in Oregon, logical people, think Oregon could win, uh, but they're going to expect probably a loss. Um, not saying that they're not good enough to win this game because they certainly are, but reality is, is they're more than likely going to lose. I think the question is, is by how much can Oregon keep this a one score game? Can it be competitive until the final second ticks off uh, or, or does it maybe get a little bit away from them? What's the expectation there? Is this, I mean, they're a 14 point favorite um, at home. Is the expectation that this could turn into a blowout or is the expectation that this is going to be a dogfight throughout the entire game? I think most Ohio State fans, you know, people that, that really pay attention were surprised to see that 14-point spread. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think Ohio State fans do expect to win. I think the way you, you phrased it was right. But, um, you know, I think people do think, you know, this is one of those top matchups, as we talked about earlier, and that, you know, it's these games generally you don't see 
the, the major blowouts, you know, it's, it's often close. Um, I think more often than not, you know, I, I know when Oklahoma came in here and upset Ohio state a few years ago, like that was a, a 10.2 touchdown game, whatever it was. Like, I think that's where it, it gets really surprising is when it starts to, um, you know, have that bigger, bigger spread between the teams. So, yeah, I think the expectation is this will be a good game. You know, I think it's, people think it'll be probably one of the better games of, of the weekend. Um, you know, I know it's not a great weekend for college football. There are some interesting matchups, but I think this is in Columbus, at least people think this is the game to watch and uh, you know, they'll, they'll be there. He's Patrick Murphy. He covers the Ohio state Buckeyes for Bucknuts. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll certainly catch up with you when uh, we get out there to Columbus on Saturday. Awesome. Looking forward to it guys. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over guys. All stars Four is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.